0: what's up guys welcome to the latest episode of the college baseball recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by keep playing baseball on this episode we're going to take a deep dive into naia baseball and we're joined by william woods university assistant coach chris fletcher fletcher is entering his fourth season as a coach with his alma mater where he works with the hitters infielders leads recruiting efforts and coaches third base No stranger to the NAIA program, Fletcher was also a standout infielder for the Owls during his playing career. Prior to returning to his alma mater, Fletcher's seven-year college coaching career included a trip to the D2 World Series as an assistant for Truman State University and also a stint coaching in the Northwoods League, among other stops. Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast today to talk shop. Yeah, uh, uh, great to finally
1: uh, talk a little baseball with you guys.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it, man. Why don't you just start off by giving us a quick rundown of your career in baseball and then how you ended up returning to coach at William Woods University.
1: Right. So I've been a a lifelong baseball guy. Uh, You know, obviously, like everybody else, played at the local youth level. And then it was about 14, I started playing travel baseball. And that's whenever I took a a real love for it. Coming from a small town in Moberly, Missouri, it's population's 15,000. Um playing with a lot of local teams and then obviously four years of high school baseball. And then from there, I moved on to play at a junior college North central Missouri college for two. And then the unique thing was uh, coming out of there. I was a, I was going to be a junior and my brother was a senior in high school and we both were recruited by the same school to, uh, to William Woods university. So I had a unique opportunity to go back and play my last two years of baseball with my brother, which was, which was really awesome. And then uh, whenever I stepped on campus there, I knew from the get go I wanted to get into coaching. A uh, little history behind that was whenever I was a freshman in high school, a, a mutual friend of ours, Owen Reed, was a senior. And uh, he was assigned to originally go to Baylor out of high school, went there for a year and then transferred. But that's another story. And I, and I got mm-hmm. to looking at myself going, man, if this guy's playing at that level, I'm not anywhere as good as him. So I better uh, pick a different career path. And I've always got, yeah. I've always got my rocks off with watching other people that I'm a, a team or associated with do really well. So high school coaches at the time were like, man, maybe you should think about coaching. And then whenever I got to William Woods, uh, that's where it kind of took off was the, the two guys that coached me, uh, Darren Munns and Craig McAndrews were both, um, an agreement that coaching would be a career path. And, uh, From there, I I finished my two years of playing and hopped into my grad assistants there. And then once I ended that, I moved on for one year to Truman State University and had uh, my first so-called real experience as as an assistant coach because I got to, uh, it was just me and the head coach, Dan Davis, and he handled the pitching. I handled the uh, offense and tag team, the defense. And that was a memorable year. It was the first time in Truman State history that the team had a winning record, and uh, we advanced to the Division Two World Series. And then the following year, uh, Craig McAndrews, who I mentioned earlier, he took over at William Woods as a head coach and invited me back to be the assistant. And I've, I've been here since. It was a, a place where I got my start as to better myself as a student and then obviously as an athlete and get my foot in the door in coaching. So what better way to come back to your alumni school to, to kind of give back that gave you so much?
0: Yeah, and and nice to um, get a taste of that success in your first year away, right? With that trip to the D two World Series, and then bring that knowledge back with you. That's yeah, awesome. it was
1: great. Uh, man, dub, uh, they call him Double D. He does a tremendous job with giving limited resources to really get that team rolling. Uh, it was senior heavy, uh, so we relied on those guys a lot to really pick that team up and just continue to go. And they bought in from day one for what we were trying to accomplish, and. Worked out in our favor at the end of the year.
0: Very cool. Well, you're the first NAIA coach that we've had on the podcast, so it's been a long time coming. So we want to start off by by talking about NAIA baseball. So why don't you just start off by giving us your best sales pitch for why high school players should consider the NAIA route. So our best sales pitch for a uh, for the NAIA
2: is, man, we really uh, harp on you know, smaller smaller sizes. Uh, what I mean by that is you're coming into a, an academic setting where you're getting a four-year degree, but uh, you're not dealing with um, 60 to 100 kids in a classroom. It's going to be anywhere from 15 to 30 max uh, to where you really get to know your professors, which we really uh, go going to. A, it's a developmental plan. So you really get to know your, your professors, your advisors, to really get you on track to ultimately getting a degree. And then being such smaller numbers, uh, you really get a one-on-one um, incentive with the coaching staff to where the developmental plan uh, for you as an athlete goes hand-in-hand with the academics to really grow you. Um, it's also super competitive uh, for all types of players and all levels. Uh, I've spent numerous years at the NI level, I've spent a year at the Division II level where we played at the highest level of the Division II World Series back in 2015. And the elite of the elite teams are, are elite. Um, I haven't seen a better team than so-called Georgia Gwinnett at the NAIA level, Tennessee Wesleyan, Faulkner out there in California at Westmont and William Jessup that are always a national powerhouse. And those go hand in hand with Tampa in the mid uh, out of Florida and in the Midwest you have Quincy and in Southern Indiana who are typically at the uh, Division Two World Series. And all those teams are relative. To to talent, so whenever you come to the NAI level, you're going to get that uh, real good competitive spirit. You're going to be a smaller in numbers to where you get a better uh, developmental plan, uh, academically and athletically, and develop a personal relationship with all those involved with you.
0: Sounds like a pretty good sales pitch, right there. You know that's uh, that's something we hear a lot from coaches of all levels. Is you know the the best teams at at every level can compete with the best teams at every other level now there may be some differences but um you know i think that's a an an important idea that you hit on there is you know there's quality level at quality baseball at every level and if you're just looking at the level designation you're going to run into problems in the recruiting process would you say that's pretty uh yeah
2: that's 100% true man Uh, a lot of guys when you start recruiting them, everybody's ambition is, "Hey man, I want to play Division One I baseball I want to play at the highest level possible." Well, that's true. That's people like us, coaches, going, "Hey, I want to manage the St. Louis Cardinals or the New York Yankees." But in realistic terms, uh, maybe our highest feeling is at this level. Maybe it's at the Division Three level, Division Two, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There's high level coaches and players at, at every single level. That you got to go out and find that fit that best fits you. And we. When we recruit a kid, man, we tell them to go on other visits. Compare us to other schools. Compare us to other um, other coaching staffs because you're making an investment for four years. Uh, make a positive investment uh, for your future. And if you're not comfortable with us, if you're not comfortable with the situation or the school, then it's not going to be a good fit and it's a waste of uh, your time, our time, and everybody else involved. So we really harp on guys uh, when we're recruiting them. Hey, man, go out and see some other schools. Take those recruiting visits, compare us because we like our product here and we want to see it compared to others. Maybe someone we can improve on or what we're doing better or what we're not doing. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, it's a great fit and we're all in the, in the same boat, which
0: is great. Yeah, that's a good, great, great point right there. Now, there's something I want to touch on the NAIA is often referred to as the the wild, wild west of college baseball, right? You hear these these stories about recruiting, about crazy things that are happening. Do you think this is the case, and, and if so, why, or, or why do you think it gets that label?
2: Okay, uh, the, the wild west uh, factor is, it's kind of comical, but it's kind of uh, a thing of the past that we're diminishing from the NAIA. Um, so two reasons really what I could come up with on, the Wild West theory would be the rules. Um So far as, like, uh, we do not have a clearinghouse, so it used to be man, just about anybody could get into an NAI school academically. You know, we'll take your 15 ACT, and your if you're a junior college kid, we'll take your 13 credits, and you'll be eligible. <coughs> so it's just like a crapshoot, but now there's a clearinghouse in place to where, they're trying to make it more of an academic setting in and raising the standard, which we all want because the the standard's higher and we reach that standard, we're for the better. Right. Um there's quirky rules in the wild uh in the NAI that would make it the wild west. You know, we can there's re entry, so if we take out a third baseman in the third inning with another player that pinch hits for him, we could re enter that guy in the sixth uh it's kinda Kind of crazy. Uh, we also can courtesy run for our catcher, okay. so and, and pitcher, which is a little different than anywhere else. But uh, those are two rules that really stick out. Where we'll go play uh, an NCA Division II school, and we'll play their rules, which is different for our guys. They're like, why can't uh, coach I'm catching today? Why can't I get a runner? And you know, it's just rule based. And then now the style is is changing. It used to be the Wild West with a ton of kickbacks, um, a lot of Division One, Division Two kickbacks, which are guys at that level that may not have made grades, but so it trickled down to the NEIs um, due to the academics. There's still some of that, but it's
0: not as prevalent as what it used to be in the past. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like it's it's trending a lot more towards being comparable to... The different NCAA levels, just a different, different route. At, at least in terms of the recruiting and the academic requirements and that type of thing.
2: Yeah, so the the recruiting we're still I would call that more of our Wild West now compared to the NCAA. As opposed to the academics, academically we're getting there, but recruiting. Um, let's say, for instance, it's the kids' junior summer going to a senior year. Um, if William Woods and an NCAA school are recruiting a kid, I can go out on that field, talk to the kid, chat with him, chat with his parents, bring him on campus, work him out. Um, there's no rules to that, to whereas an NCAA school has to stay in the stands, can only phone call the kid at a certain date. We have no recruiting deadline. We have no dead periods. It's a, uh, kind of a free for all for us. If we like you, we can talk to you, so to speak.
0: So it's pretty much wide open, which gives kids a, a lot more opportunity to show that they can play at that level, right? If you can bring them on campus and run them through a workout, that's that's about as good of, of an opportunity as you're ever going to get as a player to show that you belong at the college level.
2: Absolutely, and, and we use that to our advantage. So uh, middle to late of our fall, we have a, you know, a group of kids we recruit uh, that we're highly on, and we bring them all to campus work them out with a team, show on campus, those types of things to where they can get a feel for us and us even evaluate them more. And that's an upper hand that we have compared to the
0: NCAA. Yeah, and, and another area where it's a little bit of the Wild Wild West has to do with scholarships, right? So can you talk to us a little bit about the way scholarships work at the NCAA level if there's any limits, how many you can give out, and what are the important rules for recruits and parents to know about scholarship opportunities at the NAIA level?
2: So at the NAIA level for scholarships, we're we're similar to the NCAA as opposed to we get, if you're fully funded scholarship-wise, you can get 12. That's NCAA, that's NAIA. Um, NJCAA, the junior college route is a lot different. They can have up to 24 scholarships
3: mm-hmm.
0: to
2: be fully funded. Um, it's rare that you see a team fully funded to have 12 full scholarships. Um, and most of them, that's a pot of money. So you get a pot of money that equals 12 scholarships. And the Wild West comes from, you can break that up however you want. Uh, so, so and then, so that's, let's, let's say m- most, important for an example here. Majority of the time at the school is roughly $30,000. Private school, a little more expensive. Um, most kids will receive anywhere from 12 to 17,000. Um, that's on average. So that's why it's a wild west just because you can, you can put more kids on scholarship. Right. Um, due to you have a pot of money that you can DD out. Um, as opposed to, hey, I have 12 full. I'm going to just go get 12 banger of a player. And now i got to go fill a roster of 35, now i got to go find 30 or probably 20 to 22 freebies as opposed to, um, you know, just divvying up the money that way. So there's a, there's a greater chance for scholarship at the NAI level.
0: And there's also some creative ways that schools use academic money and other stuff to maybe be able to give kids a, a better package than they might get at an NCA school. Is that true or is that more of a myth?
2: Um, it's true to a certain degree though. Uh there's some schools out there that can they call it stackable scholarships where they can they can stack an academic scholarship. So if you're a you know, a scholar athlete and you, you're receiving eleven thousand of academic money due to maybe you have a twenty seven ACT, you're a four oh student and you're a really good baseball player and you're also receiving fifteen thousand. Now we've got twenty six grand out of thirty. That's covering your scholarship. I mean, four grand out of four-year university is pretty manageable uh, when it comes down to things. So, and then there are schools where you know you have to either take your academic money or you have to take your athletic money. Uh, you won't be
0: able to stack it. So, so there's no kind
2: of tricky to where you have to come up some ways.
0: So there's no consistent way that schools are, are really applying that scholarship. It just depends the way that they configure that with their admissions office and that type of thing
2: right because every, every private school at nai is all private so they're all uh they're all different in their own ways um that's why it's great when a kid's being recruited by NAI's to to explore you know two or three different of them because their system may be set up different to where you may be able to receive a little more money at x university than you were at y
0: right Right. Is there anything else before we kind of transition to talking more about recruiting players? Is there anything else that players and parents should know about the rules for being recruited to NAIA schools and, and how they differ from the NCAA? Or do you think we've done a good job of covering that?
2: Um, The only thing I would cover is just really the basics of NAIA so everybody has a pretty clear understanding. I think it's pretty similar to the NCAA is, you know, 18 on your ACT is the absolute lowest. That doesn't guarantee you anything, mm-hmm. but it gives you a shot. When you're a freshman, you have to maintain a 2.0 GPA. You have to be in at least 12 credit hours every semester. And the best thing you can tell parents is just know your child's not going to receive a full-fledged scholarship. Right. <coughs> it's it's it gets kind of comical at times when, you know, you're recruiting a couple kids and, and you know, it's no fault of them. Maybe it's the first kid in college and, you know, they see these high-level Division One athletes on football, some baseball, basketball, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're looking athletically here to have our school pay for. And it's like, well, we can only cover it to a certain percentage to really help you out. Um, but here's the other benefits that you get as opposed to being maybe at a bigger school. Where your kid may get lost in the numbers. Um, as opposed to we we can't
0: cover 100% of your schooling. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's important for parents and players to understand that at, at every level, you know, there's very few players who are on a full-ride scholarship. Now, baseball is very like, few. Baseball is an equivalency sport, and so, like Chris was saying, you know, you have 12 scholarships or, or maybe less if you're not fully funded, and you have to divide those up among your players, whereas... Uh, you know, football, basketball; those are counter sports where, you know, if you're on scholarship, you're on a full scholarship. So important distinction there. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's transition to talking about recruiting position players. Um, I, okay. I'm, I'm interested for you to explain kind of what you're looking for when you're trying to find the next great Owl bat, and, and what some what are some of the skills and or attributes that you're looking for in recruits?
2: Um, Definitely attributes is a guy that loves baseball, man, a guy that wants to show up and, and absolutely get after it with baseball because uh, if you come to the Wooden Woods program, you're going to be around a coaching staff that just loves, eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball daily. Um, it's part of our lifestyle, so we love getting players that are just as passionate about baseball as we are. Um And when we're talking looking for the next big out-bat is a kid that's absolutely going to go up to the plate every single at-bat, whether it's 70 and sunny, it's 30 and snowy, mm-hmm. the guy on the mound hucking the baseball at 90, the guy's thumbing you to death with breaking balls and change-up. We want to see the best competitor every single at-bat. Um, because in, in, in life, like in baseball, you're, you're not always going to win them, so we want to see... The kid at his very best and his very worst to make sure we're gonna get that that bat that's gonna give you everything you've got every single day. When things are going great, he's
0: the same or if things are going really bad, he's also the same player. So you am I'm gonna push on push on you a little bit more to, to explain that. So what does that look like when you're sitting outside the fence watching a player? What what kind of throws that flag up and lets you know, okay, this kid's a competitor in the box? What what types of things are you seeing?
2: All right, uh, you know, really try to detail if we're going to recruit a specific kid, maybe we've got some information on and we need to get out and see him. The first thing we're gonna do is get to the field and maybe watch him do in and out, see how he prepares for the day, and then whenever he's in the dugout, is he talking to his teammates? Is he a loner? Or is he the guy that's on the front step watching the pitcher, helping out his teammates? Hey man, I'm really picking this guy up on the on on tipping his pitch on this. Is he in the box? Uh, or in the on deck circle, is he really getting his timing down? Is he focused on his pitcher? Is he ready to to hit before he even gets in the batter's box? And then, like I said before, when he gets in the batter's box, we we really watch for for athleticism, competitor. I mean, obviously, he's got to have some tools to where he can can hit the baseball on the barrel consistently. Or is he a speed guy that we're watching? Those are some attributes that we really like to focus. But we like to see him, you know. Pre-game, just to make sure, you know, we're not getting just some kid that wants to just show up and play baseball because as the game advances on, you have to, you have to work at it. Um And if you move on from the college level and you get to the professional setting, you take a day off, well, you get fired and lose your job. Here in college, you, you take a day off while well, somebody else is just going to play over you. Um, yeah. So we want to make sure we're getting that best competitor daily.
0: So if you combine those two things that you talked about, right? talk about competitor and you talk about a kid who really loves baseball reason why reason why those are so important is just because at the NAI level every other level of college baseball you know what you're you're taking a high school kid and you're basically putting that baseball regimen that he was on on steroids right it's going to be more intense training longer hours longer uh, you know more games Um, everything is kind of amplified is that right
2: Right, and and to be honest with you, at this level, um, I mean, every now and then we get to uh, to pop a kid that is, you know, above and beyond the NEI level when it comes to hitting. And I'm not trying to talk down on the NEI level um, at all because I'm part of it. But whenever I say that, is you know, kid, where you're like, man, this guy could be playing, you know, in the SEC conference, the ACC conference, maybe the, you know, this guy might be a, a potential draft kid. And so we don't get those guys that often. So we absolutely have to go out and make sure we're finding, you know, that uh, the diamond in the rough that maybe he's overlooked, he's a great competitor, maybe he's a little undersized. But if he really, truly has a passion for baseball and loves to work at it, and he just lacks maybe a tool or two, that's a good fit because that's something we can work with. Like you said, it's a training schedule that's going to be on steroids. Um going to be a little more intense going to be a little more demanding but at the same time it's still a lot of fun because you're growing and you're competing at a higher level than what you were
0: at Yep. if you have (sighs) if you have that love for the game then you know you're going to love that training environment as well awesome absolutely Um, is there anything that you look for in a recruit that might surprise a high school kid who's listening to this podcast oh that's
2: a good question uh and you know, and, and it's kind of cliche, but but it holds so true. Is the kids that are really good academically that uh, that make academics a priority? Those are usually the kids. Uh, they don't have to worry about when you get to practice. You don't have to keep an eye on him while he's stretching or while he's doing a defensive fundamental because um, they they take everything so seriously. Now, does that make them the most talented player in the world? Absolutely not. But it makes them a kid that's super coachable, super enjoyable to be around. So, uh, any advice to give to, to a high school athlete is if you start taking your academics seriously, that's going to transition into you athletically. And if you combine those two things, you're never going to hinder yourself from, from advancing on to the next level.
0: Awesome. Yeah. The ac- academic piece is so critical. Um, let's get into, to your process as a coach for finding recruits. So, you know, how do you get connected with the guys that end up playing in your program? Is it, you know, showcases, is it going to games? Are you doing a lot of, uh, fielding a lot of emails, camps, you know, what is it that, that you do that allows you to find the players that end up playing for you?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of combination of all of those things combined. Uh, we will in the summertime, uh, We'd love to go out and start writing names down for the upcoming season. Uh, we don't have the luxury of recruiting two to three years out. Like we're a year to year basis, um, recruiting system. So this next year, we're, we're only hunting for 2019, 2020 kids. Um, so this past year, we know we went down and went to showcase events all summer. A lot of kids play on select teams that play in these big tournaments, which is great. Um, so we'll go out and watch them, put their names down, contact them in the fall. If we really like them, we'll get them on campus and see them that way, or we'll wait to watch them a little more, maybe in their spring season. We had some success with that. We, uh, you know, we get anywhere from 50 to 100 emails every few days on recruits, whether it be through field level recruiting service. Uh, high school coaches, summer coaches, the kid directly themselves that will contact us. Uh, maybe they had a friend that played here in the past. Um, we do get quite a few players that way. And then we branched out and have just made our names known. It helps that I've coached at William Woods for some time now, and I'm actually a local guy. My hometown is only an hour away. So right. playing high school baseball in the area, junior college baseball in the state, coaching here, playing here. You know, I've kind of made a name to where the local high schools, it's super easy for us if there's local talent for us to contact that kid, watch him, have a reliable resource if the coach, if we're not able to see him, he's super reliable he's going to shoot you straight. Hey, this kid is is this type of player. He's going to do this for you. He lacks this ability, but I think he'd be a good fit. We'll take that coach for his word and and recruit that kid.
0: Um, how important uh, How important is is video for you guys?
2: Um, if it's not a local kid or somebody we can get out right away and see, uh, we rely on it heavily just because we're short-staffed, so to speak. It's a head coach, myself, and a grad assistant trying to manage 35 to 40 players mm-hmm. on a daily basis and also trying to recruit for the next year. Uh, so we rely heavily on it if it's not something we can – you know, on a Tuesday afternoon, go drive and watch you play. They send some video. If we like you, we will make it a priority to go watch you if it's possible. If not, uh, maybe send us some highlight clips from you in a game Um, or another training video maybe we'd like to see in this type of setting. So we do rely on it quite a bit for outside our recruiting needs of the local guys.
0: Yeah, and so have you ever – had a player come play for you that you just saw on video, you never saw them play live?
2: Absolutely. Um, And I'll give you a classic example. It's a kid from California. His name was Cody Stewart. And uh, it was whenever I was a grad assistant, this was my first experience with it, and it worked out for the best. He was a draft pick out of high school by the New York Yankees. Did not sign. He went to a Division One school in California, and it did not work out for him. The local scout in that area sent film to our head coach at the time because they knew each other and had uh, a relationship in the past. Said, hey, I know you can't get out here and watch this kid. Um, here's some video on him. Um, and they took the scout for his word on top of the video, and he ended up coming to William Woods for three years and was a three-time first-team all-conference player. Was offered a uh, independent contract out of here. He did not decide to play. Wanted to move on in his career of working in director of operations for minor league baseball is what he's doing now. But it worked out for the best because he was a tremendous ball player and he was an even better person. Yes. So we have relied on that video and firsthand knowledge of somebody we trusted in the past without physically seeing the kid play.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is becoming more popular. So oh if if a kid is out of your area or you're relying heavily on this video, what are a few things that you like to see in a recruiting or skills video?
2: Um, a lot of kids like to put on there like them running the 60, which is uh, I, I never really watched it because it's so hard to tell if a kid really got foot speed or not on it. We're just going to rely on your 60 time and talk to your coaches and, and stuff like that. So that's almost useless in, in a sense just to watch a kid run. You definitely like to see them swing a bat from different angles, you know, from behind to the side, just to see their body movement if they're athletic, then get the barrel through the zone. Um, and talk a position player. If you're, uh, if you're an outfielder, we want to see the arm from, you know, behind third or behind home with the ball. So just to see if there's carry on the baseball you're throwing. If you're an infielder, we definitely want to see you take reps off the, off the bat just to see your actions. If they're clean, if your footwork's going to be good or if it's, Hey, maybe you're shortstop in high school, but your best position is going to be second. Mm-hmm. Or something about my case. But also, <coughs> we'd love to see some game footage. Um, we want to see you in a game setting where it's, hey, this was a bat, a ball hit hard off the bat by a four-hole here in our league. hit deep in the hole here. I'm making a play. So, Miles can he's got some range he can, can get in. So, we do look at the, uh, those types of things. If you're a pitcher... It's great to have a little radar gun just so you can see velocity with it. Um because without the radar gun it's extremely difficult to decipher the kids eighty two or eighty eight on um, video. Um uh, right. so radar guns great to to have with that and then video from the backside so you can see the movement behind the catcher, so you can see that maybe from the side, uh or just some mechanical work, just see keep the it's really working.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like you know, for you, for programs with limited budgets in particular, you know, it's it's important that they put as much verifiable information as possible in that video, and that may come in the form of, uh, you know, hey, here's, here's my coach's contact info, he can verify my 60 time, he can verify my velocity, and so on and so forth. Is that pretty accurate?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we love on there, introduce yourself. uh What high school you go to, who your high school coach is, who your summer coach is, um, your, your ACT school, your current GPA, your intended major, if you have one, if not undecided, all those things. That way it's, you know, it's a short three minute video. We got all the information we need to put you in a recruiting file. We got your video on tap. Now we have to do is start the recruiting process with phone calls, emails, texts, anything
0: of that nature. Love that, man. I love that you said, you know, you have all the information that you need because really what we're talking about in the recruiting process from a player's perspective is making it as easy as possible for you, the coach, to move forward in the recruiting process and evaluate that player as a fit for your program. So I love, I love the way that you put that. Um, Yeah. What are some of your recruiting pet peeves? You know, is there anything that a recruit will do that will cause you to cross them off immediately, no matter how good they are.
2: Um, if, if we're recruiting a kid and it's, and I got a couple examples here. If it's, if we're out watching the kid, whether, whether it be a showcase, whether it be a game setting, uh, one thing that's going to get you red, red inked or red redline real quick is lack of hustle, temper tantrums, you know, no respect for the game, your teammates, the coaches, the, the officials. Anything of that nature where it's, where it's really a a bad look is, is going to get you red flag. And that's not just with William Woods University. You know, that's, that's across the board where coaches, they they don't want to deal with it. It's, it's not right. Um, they're looking for high character kids. So if you're in a showcase setting and, and the guy running the showcase says, Hey, I need a guy to run the bucket. And, and you're a pitcher and you're just standing out now too. Best way to do, do that is hey, I'll volunteer for that. I'll, I'll run and run that bucket so these guys can work so I'm not throwing the bullpen for another hour. Now, help out in that sense. That looks great. <clears throat> Rather than the kid that's Joe Cool that sits with his hat on backwards or shades on his head and deep left center, you know, throwing his glove up and down, that, that's not going to get you there. Um, so, uh, like, in a game setting, if, if you give up four runs in the first and you come in and destroy your Gatorade cooler, you know, that, that's going to get your red line because... And it's a game of failure. It's going to happen again. Don't care how good you are. You're at some point you're going to fail miserably. It's it's the most humbling game in the world. So if you're if you're going to show that you you can't handle failure, you're going to get your redlined.
0: Yeah, a couple of really good examples right there. Um, let's uh, let's transition, and we'll come back to a little bit of that recruiting stuff. But let's transition yeah. to. The transition that that high school players are making to college. If you could get into the mind of high school players and help them prepare for the transition to college baseball, what is it that you would want them to know?
2: Um, really dig into attention to detail, and that, that's just to start us off with. Here is man, if you're if you're playing catch, you you, you got to play catch like it's. Like you're getting ready for game seven of the world series. You know, you got to take it serious every single day. So it's going to make you better. If you're doing defensive fundamental, you, you got to make the, the pick series. If you're an infielder, if you're doing catching work with receiving, blocking, outfield doing angle drills, <coughs> attention to detail, making sure you're doing all the little things proper. That way, when you get to a game setting, it's, it's going to transition. Um, when, when you just go through those motions as a young player and you're getting by because maybe you're athletic, and you're playing against some lesser competition at the high school level, um, it's going to catch up to you eventually. So attention to detail daily on this thing will make you better for that. Um, <clears throat> Moving along into that is the pace of play. And if I can, if I can harp on anything, um, there's kids when you go watch them in a showcase or they're in a game and they blast the ball in the gap in high school and it's just doubled. You know, when they come in the fall and they hit that same ball and our center fielders camped under it for three days because he's a senior, he's been doing it for four years at a faster pace at a higher level. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so used to that being a double. Well, we we want to get those high school kids in the, in the flow of things of the game's going to get a little quicker. Just like if if a player's to leave college baseball and go to the minor leagues, well, the game's going to get quicker on them. Arms are going to get better velocity. Guys are going to run down the line quicker. Uh, catchers are going to throw the heck out of the ball to second base. Infielders, right. they're, they're catching a short hop and throwing you out by 10 feet. So the game's going to continue to evolve and get quicker on you. So at the high school level, <clears throat> your best thing to do is, is really work at, at that high pace um, level. And it's starting to get better because kids are starting to play more summer baseball with more relevant talent to where, you know, the, the, the pace is a little better. Uh, as opposed to just widespread high school baseball at different levels, um so that is helping, but in the same sense, even your low level college is still a quicker pace than than high school baseball
0: yeah, great point so So what are you doing at William Woods to help these guys prepare for the spring when they get to campus in the fall? So what does that fall look like for you guys what What types of things are you doing to catch them up to speed and get them ready to compete? What?
2: Right, so we get six weeks in the fall with them to prepare them for spring season, and just going off of what we we're just talking about with pace of play is, if you're an infielder at William Woods, um, you know there's a lot of information thrown at you, it's a lot of chaos. We're here to help you process it, but we want to see how well you process your process it yourself um, to to continue to grow and learn, and we're here right behind you. You're going to be on a stopwatch constantly on the infield, you know, can can a ball off the back, can you fill and get it to first base with, and we put the pressure on them at four seconds flat. Now, are there four second flat runners every day in our league? Absolutely not. But our theory is if we can put the pressure on you in practice and prepare you at a higher pace, then when we get in that game setting, you know, you're used to doing it at a four second, three nine, well, you're going to blow by the four two, four three. So we're, we're preparing you that way with, with a high pace. So. We, we like to do chaos batting practice with them where we got a lot of moving parts where you're running the bases, you're playing defense, you're turning the double play, and then you got to barrel the baseball up. And if we're not doing that, you know, it's a flip-flop of a, of a scheme to really just throw a lot of chaos at you to speed the game up on you. But at the same time, once again, we're behind you, showing you how to slow that down to when you get in the game, it's relatively easy as opposed to practice.
0: Yeah. And so do you t- treat freshmen the same as you treat upperclassmen? Then they're getting the same, same stuff, or do you try and ease them into it a little bit?
2: <clears throat> um, we, we, we jump right into it. Um, freshman, senior, um, we break it down from a basic fundamental standpoint that first week, week and a half this is how things operate. I know it's a little repetitive to the returners, to the senior that's been here four years, but at the same time, you need a refresher. Plus, it's always good for the upperclassmen to rehear it, to reiterate to them. That way, they can, when our backs turn, they can be teaching our younger guys and continue to grow that leadership with them on how we operate at William Woods on a daily basis.
0: So, what does a typical schedule look like for one of your players during the fall? You know, when you're in that stretch, that six week stretch, what does their schedule look like? You know, from the time that they wake up to the time that their head hits the pillow at night. <clears throat>
2: So yeah, um, we lift when we're in our six week fall, we, we hit the weight room three days a week. Um, and that's with a full time we have we're luxury we got a luxury here, we got a full time strength and conditioning coach who was actually uh named the N S D S National Strength Coach of the Year um, this past season. So that's awesome. great that they get three days a week with him during our six weeks. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are our team practice days at 3.30 in the afternoon. So you're lifting sometime in the morning. you got classes morning and afternoon, and then we practice every day at 3.30. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday's team, Tuesday is a straight-up all-defensive day, and Thursday is a straight-up all-offensive day where, where we're locking down and focusing solely on our defense, and then Thursday we're solely working on our offense. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're – hitting the team practice and then twice a week uh we gotta take care of them academics so you're gonna hit an hour hour and a half of study hall with your teammates at the library not make sure we're on top of our work we'll go on some um future projects that we need to get started on just make sure we're we're all in accordance with that
0: sounds like things are pretty busy then
2: yeah, you're going to be busy from anywhere from 6 a.m. to about 7 p.m. Um, now, it varies. If you're an upperclassman, you may not have as many classes because a lot of things are starting to move more towards online. Um, but uh, if you're a freshman, you be prepared for a busy Monday, Wednesday, Friday because that's where most of your classes are held. Your auxiliary classes are Tuesday, Thursday on top of practice and on top of it, you got to manage the weight room three days a week and two days of study hall plus uh, maybe some outside team functions where we're trying to get you guys on the same page outside of the baseball. Um, obviously, you're in college, you need a little social life, so your time management has to be on the screws every single day, so you can knock all those things out and be effective.
0: Yeah, you, you pretty much answered my next question there, which was, was going to be about how high school baseball differs – in terms of schedule from the from the college schedule, but it sounds like, you know, it just everything becomes more important, right? Your time management becomes more important, your attention to detail and your ability to show up on time and ready to go. Is that is that a fair assessment? That's
2: that's really accurate. Um, you know, we're you know, our model is we're turning your four years into your next forty years. Nice. Um, so we we got to prepare you best we can for for whatever life's going to throw you away. Because let's be honest, like I'm not a I don't want to be a dream record. That's not my goal. But I'm a realist, and and to play baseball at the professional level, it's it's a rarity. Um, you know, select few get to do it. So we're we're trying to create the best next uh, co-worker for the future company of whatever it may be. <laughs> so your time management is is tremendous because you know in high school. Your your time management is ran by possibly a parent taking you to school, a bus picking you up for school, and then your day is set out based upon a school bell, you know. If it rings at this time, you go to this place. It rings again, you go to this place. Here it's uh this is your schedule. If you're not there, you're accountable for it.
0: Right.
2: Um, this is the time you go to the weight room, you gotta be there. I'm not we're not coming to check on you. We're not we're gonna we're gonna hold you accountable. And our and our model here is, you know, if you're so-called want to be the man, we're going to treat you like a man. So though there's those that can really handle uh, their own time management and then there's some where, you know, it takes a little extra from the coaching staff to make sure they're on the right track to doing what they're supposed to do.
0: Right on. So preparing preparing the next generation of workers, the next generation of husbands and, and fathers and so on and so forth. Love that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, man. Like I said, man, you're only getting Four more years of baseball. If you're uh, talented enough and special enough to move on the baseball, that's 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 awesome. But in the grand scheme of things, there's a higher percentage guys of becoming dads out of college, becoming husbands out of college, working at you know the next next local bank or the next whatever it may be. Um, so we want to prepare them that way. Maybe that company calls us back and says, "Hey, if you got any more baseball players looking for a poor job, we'd love to hire them." Uh, They're they're always prepared. They they know how to handle their business. We don't have to worry about them. They do tremendous work, and they're better for
0: our company. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Well, now that you're warmed up a little bit, I want to do a little rapid-fire question and answer. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you a series of fill-in-the-blank questions, and you can fill them in with a sentence or, um, you know, You can get more long-winded if you want, but we'll try and go, you know, one after the other. So you ready for this? Yeah. All right, question one. When a parent of a recruit does blank, it drives me crazy.
2: Uh, Let's us know how great little Johnny is at baseball when we're there watching him.
0: Right on. Number two. The most important thing for a recruit to do when contacting... Me as a college coach for the first time is blank.
2: Uh, make sure you put the right name of the coach in the right school you're contacting. Uh, a lot of kids get in this mass email thing, and I get it. They're trying to get their name out there, get some exposure. Take the time, do the detail. You can't send an email to the William Woods coaching staff addressing it to another school. Uh, that doesn't fly.
0: <laughs> That's a quick red line right there, huh? quick red line absolutely <laughs> all right number 3 the most effective form of free exposure that can help a recruit get interest from a college program is blank
2: free exposure number 1 make sure your your academics are in order and 2 make sure you put that in that video when you do a 2 to 3 minute video of you hitting your name your school your your ACT your intended major your current GPA it's a three-minute clip and it's the best three minutes you could send somebody and all it costs is a video on your iPhone.
0: Love that. And then where would you suggest that they, follow, quick follow-up, where would you suggest that they send that or put that video?
2: If, if you're doing your detailed work and let's say um, you're looking at the coaching staff at X University and, you know, they, they have a recruiting coordinator, hey, coach so-and-so, this is my little video, this is who I am, I want to just let you watch this. Please get back to me with any feedback you have. I have a lot of interest in your school and some questions I'd like to be asked or asked to you to be answered. Um, just please contact me at your earliest convenience.
0: Boom. There it is. Free exposure. All right. Moving on. Question four. The biggest key to being a successful college baseball player is blank.
2: Handling adversity with a positive mindset because it's going to happen daily. You are going to Go on a road trip and get back at 2 a.m. and you're going to have an 8 a.m. class and you're going to miss it sometime. At some point in your career, you're going to be held accountable for that. So can you deal with, with that failure, with that adversity in a positive manner and, and change it for the better because it's going to happen for the next four years daily, whether it be on the baseball field, in the classroom, in your relationship setting, whatever it may be, it's going to be tough. So if you can handle it with a positive attitude, you're, you're going to be all right.
0: Love it. You're crushing these questions. I just got one more, and it's probably the most open-ended and, and hopefully the easiest for you to answer. But question number five, the best part about college baseball is blank.
2: There are everlasting relationships that you're going to develop with some guys. And like you said, open-ended, when you get here for four years, um, you're going to develop a bond of brotherhood with, with some dudes for four years. Like I got married three years ago, and... If I would have got married in high school, I would have had way more high school friends, obviously. But when I got married just a few years ago, out of the seven guys in the wedding, four of them were from college. Um, and then all of our friends at the wedding venue were, were somehow connected in a baseball scheme of things at, at a reception party. So it was great seeing that. And then I go, I go back to more college. Um, setting things with our college friends than I do with any anybody I do in high school. So the relationships you're going to build is great, not just with your teammates, but with with faculty and staff. I mean, I I mean, luckily I'm still here where I played. I'm um, coaching at now where I went to school. So now I have some professors that were, you know, I had in class, and we'd go out for a burger, you know, on a on a Tuesday afternoon just to catch up about how I'm doing, how they're doing, things that's changing at the school. Um, anything of that nature, it's it's the best thing you'll ever experience. And if you go out and play summer baseball, you develop even more of those relationships because you're playing you know, 55 games in a three-month span with some dudes from all around the world, and it's just awesome.
0: That's a pretty awesome response right there, man. Love that. Um, All right, don't want to keep you too long. I know you're in the middle of the season. Things have been kind of hectic for you guys with weather. I do want to finish up by talking about um, some hitting specific stuff in terms of development so can you just take some time to walk us through what your hitting development plan looks like at William Woods
2: yeah so here at Woods uh, I'm just going from a high school standpoint we get a kid in and you know we've evaluated him for you know the past year hey, his kid's got some great hands he's, and he's always putting the bat on the ball so we like to use the fall to really – because we're going to get to spend every day with you pretty much at least five days out of seven um, with you on a on a baseball field. Um, so we're really just going to let you be. We we try to take a step back and continue to evaluate you because maybe you're doing some things that really, really work for you. And then uh, there might be some times where we might want to make some adjustments, but we don't really know that until we see you through a, a bigger sample size of a fall. Um and then what we really try to incorporate at, towards the end of the fall after we've seen you play is things that are going to make you better. Uh, we do not do a cookie-cutter system. <laughs> with that being said, if you're a guy that's a speed guy, you know, we're really going to work hard on on hugging the lines with bunt hits, uh, really cut down on the strikeouts of putting the ball and play on the backside, using the legs um, to, to advance our speed. And then on the flip side, if you've got to box it, you know, last thing we want to do is let you put the ball on the ground and, and try to chuck it down to first. You know, we want to, we want to let you sit in your legs and drive the ball through the gap and hit double after double. So that's why we like to use half of our fall to really continue to evaluate you so we have a better understanding of who you are as a hitter. And then we try to make what you do just better.
0: That sounds that sounds like it's a pretty good idea, you know. I love that you you brought up sample size and – you know, you get out and see you see a kid play five or six games and you think you really know them, uh, you know, but right. there's a, <laughs> there can be a lot of sample error in there. And so I love that idea of just letting things play their course because they might be doing some good things and you don't want to mess those things up when trying to fix something that might actually not even be an issue over the long term. So really, really love that. Um do you think uh, you could kind of break down, if if we were to walk into the offensive portion of your practice, what types of, of drills, what, what type of offensive activities would we see going on?
2: You're going to see a wide, a wide range of things. Uh, you know, we've really invested in our hitters this past year with buying a hack attack, so we can crank up some velocity, breaking balls, we can mix that to really uh, put some pressure on the hitters. Uh, we like to train our hitters in a way to where they're going to fail miserably out of practice. I know that sounds terrible, but for about two days a week, we want to put the pressure on them because hitting so difficult. If all you do all day is you know, repetition on batting practice, repetition off batting practice, and it gets monotonous, and you're like, man, I'm a really good hitter, I'm crushing BP, and then I get in a game, and I get a breaking ball, and I can't handle it, or I get a little velocity. I can't catch up to it. I'm not, I'm going to have a miserable time. So we like to really mix things up with a couple days a week, really challenging them with, you know, a hack attack with, uh, you know, we bought the ammo bat system a year or two ago and really training a strength training of hand wrist, hand eye coordination, driving a, a pile ball back through the middle, learning to incorporate our lower half and just become an ultimate competitor, competitor at the plate. So if you walked into a practice setting, you're going to see a bunk station because we utilize small ball. Um, you're going to see a skill round. Um, you're going to see hand-eye training with uh, small buffalo balls and, and small training bats. Um, we're going to keep it fresh and keep it mixing up on you. And then if you were to walk back in that same setting two days later before we play a game, you're going to be like, wow, this is pretty kosher. you got two guys throwing BP in cages. Um, some guys are hitting T still on the outside, just getting loose. Well, that's because right before we play a game, we want them to get that feeling of comfortability. Um, Hey, I'm ready to go. Let's use our bullets in the game, not this practice setting tonight.
0: So really just managing when to step on the gas and, and challenge them and then when to ease up and hit that break and give them something that is going to work more on that mindset and that approach and allow them to prepare for the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Good stuff, man. Well, I got two more questions for you. Um, First one is is something we ask all our guests, and it's a really good way to, to sort of bring things towards a close. And so what I'm wondering is if there's a ninth grader out there that's listening to this podcast and wants to play college baseball, what would be your best advice to help them have a successful recruiting process and make it to the next level at any level of college baseball?
2: Uh, number one is, man, make sure you are on track of your academics. And I know that sounds monotonous. It sounds repetitive, cliche, whatever you want to use. But there's been too many baseball players out there that have all the talent in the world, but they haven't dedicated themselves to the classroom and they're, you know, they're, they're stuck at the level that they're at when they could be at a higher level because they hinder themselves academically. Don't ever, you don't ever want to be that guy. So if you take your academics, Seriously, starting out in high school, your freshman year, your ninth grade year, you're moving forward, you start taking that stuff seriously, you're, you're going to set yourself up nice. Number two is, man, hit the weight room. Uh, you hit that weight room, you get stronger, you're starting, your body's starting to mature. Um, you're going to create yourself into a nice athlete if you take it seriously. Um, don't get caught behind and don't try to hit the weight room just your senior year when all your buddies are, Advanced and you're seeing this, uh, do it right away. Do it right off the bat. It's only going to make you better. It's going to make you a better athlete and potentially make you a better baseball player when you start doing those drill work. Those two things as a ninth grader are moving forward because everybody wants to go out and, and play ball. They want to go to their, their hitting coach and hit for three hours a week in an individualized thing. They want to throw bullpen. They want to do, you know, the velocity training to make them better. That's all that is awesome but until your, your academics aren't in order or are in order and you're getting stronger as your body's maturing and you do those things that you're really wanting to do then you're going to set yourself up for for what you really want
0: killing it man killing it and this this last question and you may have already touched on this but we just want to give you a, a little open mic time to talk about any message you want to get out to high school recruits or parents or discuss anything that's that you feel is important that we didn't get to. So, is there anything you want the audience to know about before uh, before we sign off here?
2: Yeah. Uh, if you're a high school kid and you're, and you're listening to this, if you don't get anything up out of this for the rest of the time that you've listened, or you, know, if you think it's bogus, whatever it is, and I, I promise you, there is a a college out there. For every type of baseball player, there, there is, there's so many levels. Um, there's so many desirable places to go. If you're willing to, to travel, if you're willing to do the little small detailed work and, and take your ego out of it as far as, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm only a division one player. Well, that's not the case. Um, there's, there's other tremendous schools, um, all across this country that you could go out, get a great education. And play baseball and continue to play baseball and develop a lifelong relationship with some friends that you, that you may never meet because you were unwilling to want to get out there and do that. Um, that's, that's something where every time we talk to a recruit or we go to a, you know, clinic to want to talk to people is, man, really, if you do your detailed work and, and you're willing to do those things, you can find a place for yourself if you take the ego out and, or even tell the parents that, you know, obviously you want what's best for your kid is, is best for your kid to go to a division one school on no scholarship, sit for four years just to collect some, some sweet Nike gear and say, Hey, I was at, you know, X, Y, Z university at the division one level or Hey, I got a partial scholarship. I had an opportunity to get better. I got to play my junior and senior year. My three best guys in my wedding were my college roommates. Uh, man, we travel all the time go. our families are connected, like, you, you weigh those things out, and option B sounds a heck of a lot better than option A did, to
0: me. Man, you just crushed this podcast. You crushed all the questions, so I can tell you, uh, you uh-huh. know, your, your players at William Woods are in good hands, so, um, <clears throat> Coach Fletcher, man, we appreciate you stepping on the podcast and delivering such great information to the players and parents out there, and, um, we wish you the best of luck and good weather, you know, moving forward with yeah. our season and, and look forward to keeping in touch.
2: Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Ethan. It was great meeting you at the ABCA convention, which that's another thing if we're going to stand on. It, it is it's tremendous because, you know, a mutual friend, we wouldn't know each other from Adam. We we get hooked up with a mutual friend, and here we are doing a podcast two months later, uh, talking baseball from one state to another, you know, in a in a different time zone, so... There you go. Uh, hi, there you go again for the high school kids there. Then you get out, you're going to meet people. Here, here you are, X amount of years down the line, once you're done with baseball, talking baseball with people that you never would have met if you never got out
0: there. Yep. Amen, man. Hit the, hit the nail on the head, and I think that's a great point to finish on, you know, and we we're lucky to meet through that connection, and, and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for college baseball. So there you guys go. Uh, Coach, best of luck. We'll uh, we'll connect with you again down the line and and look forward to talking shop again soon.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the recruiting process or how to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. That's at Keep Playing BB on Twitter, Keep Playing Baseball on Facebook, and at Keep Playing Baseball on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review, or at least tell your friends. We provide all this information for free because we want to help you get to the next level. If you're interested in a partnership or sponsorship in underwriting some of the Keep Playing Baseball content on our website, or being the title sponsor, or running ads on our podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to catching you on the next one.